0: you know that he was super nervous about that. And I think he did great. Did you catch the words? Those are some of the densest theological words we've sang in here in my time. can't quote it exactly, but just to paraphrase, that last verse. When I'm standing in front of your throne, Nations and tribes and tongues gathered around. He's saying about being justified, not by his own merit, but by a blood price that was paid on his behalf. Righteous he stands now in relationship with a holy God. I long for that day. How about you? Me too. Me too. John chapter 5. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we'll have the text up on the screen in a little while. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, man, I'd love to help you fix that. We value God's word here. We believe that uh, it has the ability to convict of sin and to draw people to repentance, to breathe life into a weary soul. We further believe that it is God's primary means of teaching us about himself. And so uh, when I say the words, if you don't have a Bible, we'd like to give you one, that, that's not some little line that's that's me saying it would be advantageous for our church and for me as the pastor of this church to put a bible in your hands if you don't have one we believe that God's word is powerful and it does stuff all right and so I'm, I'm literally saying if you don't have a bible I got a case of them in the office you can have one now if you have a bible don't be a jerk and take our bibles all right <laughs> but if you don't I call it a good thing to put one in your hands okay so john chapter 5 we are uh in the uh in the still beginning stages we're planning on taking a few months to do this uh early parts of a series that we're calling on the same page we're not to that section yet that's nice picture though all right uh on the same page uh and the premise is incredibly simple uh there's a lot of people in here who've come out of differing backgrounds and varying levels of backgrounds culturally and religiously and all these kinds of things, different levels of church backgrounds, even within the Christian tradition and all these kinds of things. And uh, myself included, I, I'm, I'm one of the new guys. I'm probably maybe even the newest guy. Right? And so if I'm going to be the guy that talks the most, it's probably beneficial for us, or we could use the word again, advantageous, all right, that we're thinking the same things when important words, vocabulary words in the life of the church, are just thrown out in the ether right when i say the word gospel or the word scripture or the word worldview or the world word mission or uh community or all these kinds of things when i say words like that they're supposed to carry a weight that's under the surface and it's good for us all of us to be thinking the same things when those came out all right And so uh, we're now in the fourth week of that, all right. And we've spent the first three weeks talking about the same word, gospel, all right. Uh, Some of you are laughing because you know, all right. Uh, We we talked about how the gospel is a legal reality that Jesus pays the debt that we cannot pay. He satisfies the legal demands of the gospel uh, of the sin debt that we. All right, we talked about how the gospel is a family reality. We talked about how we are adopted as co-heirs with Christ. God makes us his sons and daughters. We get brothers and sisters called the church that we live with, walk and talk with, grow with, serve with, all those kinds of things. And then last week, we talked about how the gospel is a cosmic reality, that God is rectifying and fixing all things everywhere that went wrong at the fall all right and so when we look at genesis three when we look at a world that's obviously broken we all long for the fix so when god is going to bring justice and undo oppression and he's going to put all things right and we won't suffer from sin and death anymore all right so that's what we looked at last week and i'm willing to bet that some of y'all are thinking are we ever going to not be talking about the gospel shame on you. Now. We must move on. But if you wanted a little idea, we could be talking about the gospel a long time. Because here's the thing. Last week I called it a, a flower, a three-dimensional flower, and we, we talked about how we, the three dimensions of the gospel are personal, corporate, and global, right? cosmic. But listen, the, the gospel is really more like a diamond with uncounted facets. We could talk about how the gospel is an economic reality. We could unpack the, the biblical word propitiation. Talk about how you are not your own. You were bought with a price. We can talk about how the gospel is a political reality. Jesus has come to establish a kingdom that is here but not yet fully here but will one day be here forever. We can talk about how the gospel is an educational reality. About how Jesus has come to show us a better way. To teach us how to live in a way that's pleasing to God and brings the fullness in life now. We could go on and on and on and on and on, but move on we must. All right? And so here's what we're going to do we're going to introduce a new word. And so now we can show our slide. We're going to talk about Scripture this morning. So some of you may be saying, uh, this, the word Scripture, that sounds kind of cold and lifeless. Like, right? Isn't that more of an academic word? It's, it feels antiquated. Well, even in that conversation, every one of us is kind of instinctively understanding that there's a weightiness to the word scripture that goes much deeper than just Bible, right? Goes much deeper than just God's word. There, there's a spiritual authority that, that's carried with the word scripture that we need to talk about this morning, right? So when I say the word scripture, I want you to be thinking about Jesus. Sound good? Really? Do I even need to preach this morning? About Jesus. John chapter 5. See, people have lots of ideas about or just things that flood them when they hear the word scripture. Some good, some bad. Us included. So what's our knee-jerk reaction going to be when we hear the word scripture? My hope is that you think Jesus. In John chapter 5 um, John is different than Uh, than the other three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call the synoptic gospels. Uh, It's the opposite of my optic. So instead of a singular view, it's a multi-angled view of the story of Jesus. And they kind of tell one story. And yeah, they they structure some things differently because they all have different audiences. And they're trying to tell the story in the way that's appropriate for the audience that they're writing to. That's why there's differences in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All right. Uh, But more than anything, they're very, very similar in their scope. John, though, is very different. John is less concerned about historicity and more concerned about theology. All right? and so when John writes his gospel account, it's more concerned about telling the theology behind the story. And so John's gospel is structured very differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All right? And so uh, in John 3 and 4, all right, he be- tells the story of three different Types of people that Jesus is saving. It starts with the story of Nicodemus, who's a ruler of the Pharisees, and then you get the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, and then you get the story of the Roman official, and all that kind of stuff. And those are three very different people in the culture that Jesus is living in in the first century, right? And so it, the religious elite of Jesus's day are starting to get worked up a good bit about this Jesus character, all right? And so in John chapter five, uh, Jesus interacts with a, a guy who's physically lame, right? He can't walk, he's, he's at a pool, he's complaining about not, not being able to get into the pool in time to be healed because apparently they got this weird thing going on where the waters get stirred up and people who jump in the pool come out able to walk again i don't know right but jesus has this interaction with this guy he has this conversation he's like are you sure you want to you want to be healthy are you sure you want to be well and the guy's like yeah sure why not all right and so jesus heals him and jesus then tells him to pick up his mat that he's been laying on roll it up and walk away go home that's a problem because it's the sabbath day now the jews had this belief and it was a correct belief that you shouldn't do work on the sabbath day it was a it was an extension of the command to, to keep the sabbath day holy and to keep it special one of the ten commandments and so the question that they had to figure out was well how does that actually flesh itself out on an everyday level what is work and what is not work right And so one of the things they identified as work was walking certain distances and carrying certain types of things. You couldn't do that on the Sabbath day. And so the Pharisees, the religious elite of their day, see this guy who's been healed by Jesus. He's carrying his mat, which wouldn't have been allowed on Sabbath day, and he's walking a distance longer than he was supposed to be walking on Sabbath day, and they call him out. It's like, hey, what are you doing? The guy's like, Jesus told me to pick up my mat and walk. So They're like, we gotta talk to this Jesus guy. So they approach Jesus. They said, hey, Why'd you tell the guy to pick up his mat and walk on the Sabbath day? And what Jesus tells them in verses 16 and 17 of John 5 is that, well, actually, he's just giving testimony to what the Father has done. Jesus healed him, right? He's giving testimony to what the Father has done? And so the Pharisees begin to connect the dots here. They rightly connect the dots that Jesus, in this moment, is claiming to be equal with who? The Father, God. Now, either A, Jesus is wrong about that statement, and that's an incredibly blasphemous thing to say. And the penalty in their day for that kind of blasphemy is to just kill you right then and there. Pick up rocks, chunk them at the face, all right? That's how you deal with the crazy blasphemer. Option B, though, is that Jesus is right about that statement, and it's not blasphemy at all. And that is the context that verse 18 happens in. Let's look at it. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to, what? <laughs> to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay, so if you've ever asked the question, who's at fault for Jesus' death? Well, the, there's a couple of big theological answers to that question. One is me and my sin. I, I put him on the cross. We talked about that in the legal reality. The cross had to happen because of my, my sin. Another big weighty theological answer is that God was responsible for Jesus dying on the cross because it was planned before, from before the foundation of the world. It was happening no matter how all the other pieces played out. But there's also a logistical answer to the question. Like, one of the nuts and bolts reasons why Jesus was executed is because he kept saying stuff that made the authorities of his day somewhat furious, right? And so they're like, we have got to get rid of this guy, we have got to do him in. He continually said and did things that infuriated those in authority. Look at verse 19. So Jesus said to them, so this is a conversation that's still happening with the Pharisees. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead, And gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Verse 23. That all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes them, believes him who sent me, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Those are weighty statements. Verse 27, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and they will come out and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Verse 30, I can do nothing of my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Talking about the Father. Verse 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, that is John the Baptist, you sent to John, and he was born and he has borne witness to the truth. he is told about the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say that these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me okay so there's a lot to unpack there let's call a timeout. we'll eventually read the rest of the story but there's a ton to unpack right there jesus went through a lot of dialogue in that moment to say yeah yeah i very much am equal with the father and i do everything the father tells me to do and everything you think belongs to the father he is freely and joyfully given to me judgment when we think about god being a holy judge it's not the Father who does the judging in Revelation. It's the Son, the Lamb seated on the throne. We can talk about that at another time. Jesus says, everything you think belongs to the Father, it does belong to the Father, but I am his Son, and he is pleased to hand it to me. You think that's starting to get him worked up a little bit? Yeah. They were, they were already wanting to kill him before those statements were made. He's, he's starting to create a little ire here, right? And he says, listen, you should know that I am this this son that's equal with the Father. And he lists two reasons. Did you catch them? The first one is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a guy who came preaching repentance, all right? his official role was to be the precursor, the guy to set the stage for the coming Messiah. And so he was calling people to repentance and he was dunking people in water as a sign of that repentance that Jesus would be coming on the scene and we needed to prepare our hearts for Jesus to come on the scene. And so Jesus was going to be the Messiah and he was going to make straight the paths according to uh, the the, the prophecy about him that we see in Luke chapter 1 and all these kinds of things. And the Pharisees kind of like John the Baptist, right? I mean, if you're a religious elite and this guy comes in looking all crazy and saying, repent, 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 and people are going, you know what? I think I'm going to repent. The Pharisees were kind of big fans of John the Baptist. They would point to him and say, now that's how you do it right there. But then there's that whole thing about John the Baptist pointing at Jesus and saying, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So they liked John. They celebrated what John was doing. But John kept pointing to Jesus and going, that guy. That's the guy you need to be watching. That's the guy you need to be following. John at one point said, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. The Pharisees liked about 99% of what John the Baptist was doing. Except for that whole Jesus thing. But John was relentless in it. He wouldn't let up. Jesus says, Hey, you, you value, you celebrate what John was doing? He was pointing to me. Where are you at on that one? But there was a second thing. He said, Listen, it says, The works that the Father gave me to do, those bear witness about me. Works is an interchangeable word in John's gospel and the other gospel accounts with signs and miracles. Jesus just said, Hey, all these miracles that I've been doing, that you've been hearing about and sometimes watching me do, guess what the point of those are? It's not to put on a good show, it's to bear witness to the fact that I am who I say I am. Now, I told you that the structure of John is is a little choppy, he's more interested in theology than he is in historicity, but there's every reason to believe that the story of Nicodemus happening in John 3, a story that we looked at a few weeks ago in here, happened before this account so nicodemus if you remember the story the ruler of the jews teacher of the jews comes to jesus in the middle of the night trying to figure out what category to put jesus in because they don't believe he's who he says he is but he keeps doing things that they don't know how to categorize and literally nicodemus says no one can do the signs that you do unless god is with them right so even even the pharisees are going what do we do with this guy I don't believe he's who he says he is, but he's obviously doing stuff that I can't do. I don't know, anybody in here able to walk on water? If so, we, we should hang out. There's some stuff i got to try. Jesus isn't Jesus ain't just some normal guy here. He's consistently doing things to prove he's who he says he is, and the Pharisees are very aware of that reality. Jesus goes, John the Baptist told you what I say is true. The, The works that I'm doing bear witness to the fact that I am who I say I am. And you may be asking, what in the world does this have to do with the Bible being about Jesus? Because that's not the only two reasons that Jesus gives. Look at verse 37. There's a third reason. Jesus says you ought to know who I am. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. So I've told you in here before, and I need to repeat it because it's buried deep in church culture. The Pharisees aren't always the bad guy. Now, they play the role of the bad guy in a lot of ways, and there's a lot of things about who they are and what they believe about God that were very incorrect, and that's why Jesus spends a lot of his time correcting them, all right? But don't see the Pharisees as cartoonish, always-does-the-wrong-thing kind of guy, all right? The Pharisees, for all intents and purposes of our story, are the religious elite of their day for a reason. They are the ones holding on to theological and cultural conservatism, conservatism when everybody else is running the wrong direction. As the Hellenists are sweeping in and modernizing and, and, and bringing Greek thought into the Jewish culture and pulling people away from God, that's who the Sadducees were, all right? As, as those people are, are pulling God's people and the culture of god's people to an a place that was displeasing to god the pharisees were the guys going no no we got to hold on to this they were the guys holding up the scripture the torah the the five books of the bible genesis exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy the first five books that we call the law the torah the pentateuch whatever system you want to use there those they were the guys holding that and saying no this is valuable to us We need to follow this. We need to to honor this. We need to obey this. And everybody else is going, ah, that's, that's nothing. That's old. That's antiquated. We got better things on our plate. The Pharisees were the guys who in grade school had those first five books of the Bible memorized. Anybody working on memorizing the book of Numbers this week? See, we see the Pharisees as this cartoonish, always getting in their own way reject that Jesus has got to put in their place. But Jesus looked far more like a Pharisee than he did any of the other major groups of his day. I honestly think that's why Jesus spends so much time trying to correct them. Because they were the guys getting it more right than anybody else. The Sadducees, they were off in left field. The Zealots were killing everybody they disagreed with. Jesus looked an awful lot like a Pharisee. They loved the scriptures. They honored the scriptures. They built their lives around trying to be obedient to the scriptures. Jesus looks these guys in the eye and says, you have no idea what they say. Because if you did, you would know exactly who I was the second I stepped on the scene. If you knew your Bibles well, you would know who I am, is what he says. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about who? Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of who? But if you do not believe his writings... How will you believe my words? The Pharisees would pour over the Old Testament day and night and night and day. They literally, I'm not talking about nice little packaged religious people. I'm saying that they would literally build and structure their lives around following God's law as closely as they could. They would guard what they did on a Saturday, and, and so much so that they would watch where they spit. Because if you spit in sand, that makes mud, and mud is mortar, and that's kind of work, right? So let's spit on rocks instead. Anybody else walking into that kind of discipline? I'm not. I'm not anywhere close to that. They loved and honored and, and followed the, the, the scriptures as best as anybody in their day could. And they missed the supernova shining in, like, like a star in the middle of it all. Like, they completely missed Jesus. They put Moses, the writer of the law, up on a pedestal. And they were completely oblivious to the fact that Moses was saying, Jesus, Jesus. We're hitching for Jesus. I mean, give you some examples out of just the Torah. The animal killed instead of Adam and Eve that we talked about last week. Who's that a picture of? The ram caught in the thicket for Abraham to offer instead of Isaac. The paschal lamb offered year after year after year for millennia at the Passover. The priest Melchizedek that shows up after Lot's rescue. You need to read Hebrew sometime. There are a thousand other examples that we're going to spend the next 50 years talking about. The Pharisees devoted their lives to knowing God's word inside and out, and they missed the main reason God gave it to us. They missed the main reason God gave it to us. And listen, we all get that the New Testament is about Jesus, but every word of the Bible is about him. There's a children's curriculum that we have access to that eventually we'll, we'll roll out here for some stuff. And it's built around a children's Bible that, that's, I think, a really solid resource. And the whole point of the children's Bible is to take all these Old Testament stories out of these moralistic tellings of be brave, be good, be right, and puts them in the context of this is how this story tells us about who Jesus is going to be. This is how this story tells us about what Jesus was going to come and do. This is about how this story tells us about how God loves and cares and provides for those who don't deserve, the same way Jesus will. The way the children's Bible, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a great resource if you've got kids, check it out. But the way it sums up all these kinds of thoughts is that Every story of the Bible whispers His name. That's a good thought. I like that thought. And this is why I repeat that line every week at the start of our sermon time together. About how we how we believe the Bible to be something that convicts of sin and draws people to repentance and breathes life into a weary soul, and is the primary means by which God teaches us about himself, that's not me trying to to kill some time. That's me intentionally losing some of my time so I can bury that thought so deep in you that it's a knee-jerk, second nature kind of deal. And about the time you are sick and tired of me saying it, it's about the time it'll really start to click. So guess what? Every darn week. (laughs) Every week. Why? Why? Because I want this to sink in deep. I want this to sink in deep. When you think scripture, I want you to be thinking Jesus. This isn't some pithy little thought out of one text in, in John 5. Like, this is what the book of Hebrews is about. I don't know what your church background is. I don't know what your Bible reading background is. Literally, literally. This is the purpose of the book of Hebrews to point to Jesus in Old Testament stories, right? So let me just run through some of these. The writer of Hebrews writes a whole letter unpacking how Jesus is the greater and more perfect Moses, how he's the true rest for the people of God instead of some silly earthly promised land, how he's the perfect high priest in the order of Melchizedek, the true holy place, the final sacrifice needed for sin, and how he's the author and perfecter of our faith. That's the purpose of the book of Hebrews to point to Jesus in the Old Testament. But we can look another place. Join me in Luke 24. It's just a few pages to your left. Luke 24. So it's a text that's most often referred to around Easter because it's a resurrection story. So um, the morning of Jesus' resurrection, uh, Jesus decides to take a hike, all right? And he walks for seven miles to a nearby town called Emmaus. Uh, So his burial place was just outside the city of Jerusalem. The city of Emmaus, the town of village of Emmaus, whatever you want to call it, uh, was about seven miles away. That's what Luke 24 tells us. And Jesus walks that path with two guys that were kind of disciples of him don't think 12 disciples think larger group of people that were following jesus around uh we get to learn the name of one of them in this story but the other one remains a mystery all right and so the way that the story plays out is that jesus walks this seven mile little trek with these two guys and he kind of plays this cat and mouse game with them where jesus disguises who he is so they don't know that it's jesus all right and and they've heard all the stories play out and they've heard the resurrection happen uh, but they're kind of bummed about things because they don't know what to believe and they're i guess on their way home or something and they're really just kind of down and out and jesus is just kind of messing with them where he's like well what happened and they're having to tell the story to jesus and and all these kinds of things and then in uh, look at verse 25 and he jesus said to them, oh, excuse me. (coughs) I meant to do that. All right, in 25, and he said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And so Jesus says here, come on, guys. I mean, how did you not know that, that Jesus was supposed to die and then be raised again? think about that jesus basically just mocks some people for not understanding that things were going to play out exactly like they played out that doesn't seem very jesus-like unless it should have been very 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 obvious that things were going to play out exactly like they played out and for them to miss that obvious thing kind of ridiculous So look at verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, so the Torah and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning who? So Jesus is walking down the road to Emmaus with these two guys, and he's going, hey, you know that story about blank in blank that does blank? That's really about Jesus, let me tell you how. You know that story in blank, about blank, doing blank? That's a story about Jesus, let me show you. Now, I may be a Bible nerd, but that's the coolest thing ever! (laughs) Anybody going, that's not appealing to me. That would be the best day. I don't want to walk seven miles, but if if I got to do it in that context, I'm in. This is not a seven-mile walk body. (laughs) But if over and over and over and over and over again, God himself goes, think of it this way. Think of it that way. You know that part that's got you confused? Try thinking like this. Oh, church, I'm in. Call me a nerd all you want. I am in. Right? Yeah. Jesus says Everything in the Scriptures told you that this is the way it was going to play out. Listen, they don't have the New Testament yet. When that story's being played out, nothing in the New Testament has been written. The Gospels were one of the were some of the last things written in the New Testament. So you didn't even get those stories told in a formal, written down kind of way for uh, you know, 60, 70 years. So when Jesus is talking about the scriptures, he's not talking about the book of Ephesians, although I think he likes it. It's his favorite. <laughs> Jesus is talking about, Jesus is talking about minor prophets that sometimes we choose to skip because we don't think there's anything important in there. He's talking about genealogies and in, in numbers because... Apparently, they're important for a reason. Jesus says, everything in the scriptures tells you about me, tells you I'm coming, tells you it's going to play out exactly the way it's supposed to play out, exactly like it has played out. When I say the word scripture, I want you to be thinking, Jesus. It's not some cute little way of remembering some modest theological point. It's the Bible's primary means of teaching us about himself. If we miss this reality, if we treat the scriptures as if there's some kind of secondary voice in the conversation, what we end up losing is the character of God himself. If the scriptures are just a voice instead of the voice, we're left victim to thinking of and pretending God to be things that are only in our imagination and not the real deal. We either put the scriptures on the top of that pedestal and get the actual picture of who God is and revealed himself to be to us or it's something significantly less than that. Anybody in here reading our February book and our pretend book club? That's the, that's the point of what Joshua Harris is saying in his book. Everybody in this room is a theologian. Everybody has ideas about who God is, and everybody in here structures their lives based on who they think God is, and if they will answer to Him. Some of us are just really terrible ones. Some of us just have very incomplete pictures of who He is. And so the question is how, how do we figure out who He is? We use the tool He's given us to teach us about Himself, right? And we either use that or we use something less than that. Oh, Lord, help us. <laughs> I want the real Jesus, right? Yeah, hope you do too. So what do we do with texts like this? For some of us, we come to the realization this morning that we've been building and structuring our lives on on the Bible as this code book, this rule book that makes life better. And there's, there's some truth to that, but at the end of the day, it's not truth that actually saves. You've missed the Jesus shining like a supernova in the middle. So if that's you... What do you do? You come to him. We want to give you a chance to do something about that day. We're going to pray in a second. We're going to sing. and It'll be your chance to, your opportunity to respond however God's calling you to respond. And for some of you, that's to respond by coming to Jesus for the first time instead of his rules. You do that by repenting of your sin and coming to him as the Lord. You you do that in your own heart, in your own seat, but listen, I'd love to talk to you and help you walk through that if you need help, and I'll be down here, and we're gonna have some other deacons down here when that time comes. So if you need somebody to help you walk through that reality, I'm game. Some of us in here, though, we've fallen into this rut where we've chased after knowing him through lesser means. Maybe it's books you like to read, maybe it's celebrity pastors with a podcast or a tv program maybe you live vicariously through your own pastor can i just be honest with you i am a terrible proxy for knowing jesus just horrible if you're using me as the filter it's going to go wrong quick maybe today in our response time you need to make a fresh commitment to say jesus i'm going to chase I'm gonna chase using the tool that you've given me to chase. And we got, a, we got Bible reading plans out there. Some of y'all are already working on that. Listen, we didn't give those to you because we want more academic church members. Because we believe God's word does something. It's got a power to it. It's far deeper than just the Bible. It's scripture. It carries a weightiness and authority that actually affects change. And I am a firm believer that when you start putting that in front of your eyes, things happen. The Bible itself says that the Bible doesn't go out void, go out and come back void. It accomplishes its purposes. So if you're here this morning and you've been living through the proxy, let's fix fix that today. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. It'll be your chance to respond however God's calling you to respond. Father God, you are good. Thank you for giving us the scriptures. Not just the story of John and the story of Luke and what you did to religious elites and disciples who were bummed out. Not just for the book of Hebrews, although that's pretty rad. Thank you for giving us a word that tells us about yourself. You did not leave us to just figure it out with our best guess. No, you have unfolded who you are to us. Our god speaks he speaks clearly you desire to be known and you've given us a tool we don't deserve to know you so god help us press in help us see the bible as, some, as an incredible gift to us not a rule book to structure our lives around, but a a story where every minor story whispers your name. God, strip away all the things that distract us from chasing the real you. Whether that's preachers on TV or books that we like to read or even me. lousy substitutes for the real thing so God help us open our Bibles well this week may we press in and chase well for you are worthy of the chase and I think you're attractive enough that we'll like what we see so in your name we pray Amen
1: The, sing. Sing the song. is still, i strain into this small child this watching. Through. What yeah. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt And raised his siren from the dead Cause Jesus paid it all All to him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain. Me as snow. He was Jesus. Me as
0: snow. Y'all can be seated just real quick. We have three announcements. I'm gonna run through them real fast. Number one, um, every year we put on uh, Baptist in New Hampshire put on an evangelism conference that's going to be happening the 10th and 11th of March uh, this year, and so I will be going to that if you would like to join me in going to that. Uh, they've got a pretty solid keynote speaker, a guy named Dr. Alvin Reed, who wrote several books on discipleship that I have just absolutely feasted on. Uh, it, it's a solid guy, and so uh, I think it's a valuable time. Tickets are eighteen dollars. I'm going to buy the tickets for this event, probably Tuesday or Wednesday morning.